Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the word-giving, insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now, on to today's message. First of all, last week at Baptoberfest, we got to baptize 22 people at both locations. And so far in 2017, we've been praying and asking God, and it's been 72 so far this year been water baptized, making their faith public uh, to the Lord. And so that's one of the things that's so important to us. And man, we're just stoked to see what God is doing. And for all of you who got baptized last week, I pray that last week was the best week of your life. Well, today we're going to be in a series called, um, finishing up, called How to Be Brave. And so go ahead and turn your copy of God's Word to 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, verse, verse 6. And over the past several weeks, you've like literally joined with us and walked through the Word of God. We have looked from uh, 2 Timothy 1 all the way through 2 Timothy 4, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And it's been an awesome time to study God's Word together. Today, I want to speak to you about how to live with your end in mind. How to live with your end in mind. I recently uh, was reading a devotional book that I read for pastors. And this guy was on staff at one of the busiest churches and biggest churches in America. And it was uh, pretty much to the point he burned completely out of ministry. Did not go back into the pastorate and things of that nature. And so his whole ministry now deals with health, pastoral health, ministry health, and things like that. And one of the questions he posed in that devotional was this. What type of old person do you want to be? What type of old person do you want to be? And he asked that question first person. What type of old person do I want to be? And that question shaped his life. For the reason is this. He said as he looked around the body of Christ and looked around churches, he could not find Christian men who were older that he wanted to emulate. He said that he looked around and saw guys that were fighting the progress of the church as a deacon. He said he he found older men who become more grumpy and crotchety because we get that way as we grow older, right? But he couldn't find old men that were in love with Jesus more than when they first started following Christ. And so it posed for him, what type of old person did he want to be? And then he started the journey from that day forward to help shape his life toward that. And you got to think in your life. Some of you may say, well, I'm already old. Well, listen, as long as you have breath, you're always growing toward the end, right? Some of you are in the twilight of your life. Some of you may be in the midlife crisis, right? Um, others of you may be just beginning with families and things of that nature. But we all have to look at what type of old person do we want to be? How do we want to be remembered in life? What are the things that matter to us most at the end of our life? Because here's the thing. That one question will shape how you live now. Your life is made up of habits. Your life is made up of decisions. And if you don't have the picture of what you want that to be, you will never fulfill that. It's called living intentional. Now today what we're going to look at is one of the most beautiful passages of scripture I have ever read in my life. Um, It's one of the ones that shaped my life. The Apostle Paul now, this is his last letter. He's in house arrest in Rome and he knows that execution is coming. Persecution against the church in the first century was now escalating. People were being killed for their faith. 
And he knew that Rome was coming for him next. Because he was the spearhead planting churches everywhere. He was probably the greatest Christian leader we've ever seen. And Paul knowing that as he ends this letter to his his dear protege, a dear son in the faith, Timothy, he gives us insight into how we can shape our lives. And this is usually used in these verses for a funeral. That's when you usually use these. But I believe if you take these verses to heart today, you will be able to shape your life now and not wait until then. Let's go ahead and read what Paul writes to Timothy in his last words that we ever have recorded from the Apostle Paul. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now look what Paul writes here to Timothy personally. He says, Timothy, please come to me as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. And has gone to Thessalonica. As you read this, I want you to pause for a second and hear the tone. I want you to hear where he's at. He's been deserted. He is all alone. He knows that death is coming. And look uh, what he writes about. Demas has deserted him. Crescens has gone to Galatia. And Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. We know Luke wrote Acts. um, And he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was the doctor. He says, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Now, you may believe Paul's getting desperate right now. If you know anything about the Bible and the history of it, you read the book of Acts. Paul sent Mark packing earlier on in ministry. Paul cut Mark from the team. Mark got his pink slip from Paul. Uh, Seriously, book of Acts, he says, Mark is worthless to the ministry. Barnabas, you take him. I'm taking Titus, you take Mark, I'm done. But now the end of his life, we see now that Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, has made some great strides. Barnabas mentored him. And now Paul Salmon, bring him to me. Either Mark has really grown or Paul is really desperate for a friend. I don't know. You, you, can, um, you can take that for yourself. He said, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Let's say that three times fast. When you come, be sure to bring the coat that I left with Carpus at Troas. He's cold. He's in a Roman prison. He's human. He says, also bring my books and especially my papers, which most believe are the scriptures, the Old Testament and the ones that he had written and some that Peter had written. Then he says this, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he's done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. That's all non-Jews. 
and he rescued me from certain death. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. Again, there's some heroes in the book of Acts you can read about. And those who live in the household of Onesphorus. That's from the book of Philemon. You're seeing him bring all this together. Erastus stayed at Corinth. And I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends you greetings. And so does Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the other brothers and sisters. May the Lord be with your spirit. And may his grace be with you all. You can hear the sense of urgency in Paul's voice. You can literally feel the tone in this letter. That his life is coming to an end. All that he's worked for. All that he's done. He shares hurt. People deserted him. Doesn't it hurt when friends betray you and people stab you in the back and your relationships don't turn out like they're supposed to? And Paul experienced that. He also shares those who are close to him. The things that he values. When you look at this... I think the big idea that we have to take away is we must live with our end in mind. You've got to live with your end in mind. You've got to think about what will it look like at my life at the end? What type of old person will I become? Will I be like Paul where I'm saying, man, I value the scriptures. Bring the papers to me. I want to read the scriptures. Will you continually be um, exhorting the local church and growing in the kingdom? Or will you be someone who is bitter and jaded? Paul, even at the end of his life, was impacting people's life. How do you want to be remembered? See, what you don't want to do is this, guys. You do not want the preacher to lie about you at the funeral. Some of y'all going to make a preacher lie, man. You're going to be like, out of all the people in the world, Delbert was one of them. <laughs> uh, she lived, she died, she breathed, and um, paid taxes, and... Um, Amen. The food's going to be great. (laughs) Sometimes that happens. This is why this is so crucial today for you. And this is actually, if, if I could probably share any message with you, if I had one message to share, if the Lord decides to take me home next week, this would be the message. Because many of us don't understand how important it is to live with our end in mind. We live day to day, moment to moment, year to year, but we never think about the bigger picture. We never think about 30, 50, 100 years. Yeah, 100 years. You're not going to be around. But what legacy will you leave 100 years from now? We don't think about the greater picture in a situation. Because we're not living with our end in mind. I mean, for me, um, in my life, one thing that shaped me was I actually started talking to a financial advisor about retirement. If you were in your 20s in here, whether you're married or not, if you're single Go ahead and do it if you're 20s. And every person who's retired will tell you this. Do it now. Get with the financial advisor. They're going to give you a number. And you build your budget based around that number. Nobody accidentally walks into retirement. Oh, it was great, man. I just woke up to death. Were they able to retire? You have to work toward it. You have to, I mean, literally, our financial advisor is talking to us about 65 years old. 
And then the number it's going to take to get us there. The way we have to shape our life. Without talking to her, I don't think about my end when it comes to like work. Right? In the same way, we don't do that with our families, with our spiritual life, with our children, with our legacy we leave uh, in, in in the Christian world. We don't think about our end. We don't think about what will it look like one day whenever I have to have a funeral. And here's what happens when we don't do this. We live a life of regrets. If you have, like, if, if you're younger in here, it's one thing that I think everybody as they get older, you have, you know, more regrets. And you can talk to some people who say, let me tell you about all my regrets in life. And what do, what do most mature people say to us? Don't make the same mistakes. Right now, I tell our teenagers this, you have a chance to live a life with reduced regrets. If you look at the bigger picture, if you look at life with your end in mind. And and here's why this is crucial if you're a Christ follower in here. And some of you know this, you can quote it, that means I'm a good teacher. Is that Fuller Theological Seminary did a study. They said only one out of three Christians will actually finish well. They did a study on thousands of Christians, 33%. That means right now, if I went one, two, three, you'll do great. One, two, three, you're good. One, two, three. That means the other 66%, somewhere along the line, they let the pleasures of life drag them away from Jesus. They're not more in love with Jesus than when they first started following him. They let the hurt of life, and sometimes the hurt of church, drag them away from Jesus Sometimes they let sin and moral failure drag them away from Jesus. And when they did these studies, only one out of three actually finished well. See, maybe I'm too idealistic, but I want to flip the script on that. My heart for you is that you build your life with the end in mind, saying, this is the type of person I want to be, this is who I'm going to become, this is what I want to do, and you live with that vision. As I said a couple weeks ago, and some of you had the spiritual gift of amnesia, so you forgot. So, say again, when you have vision, it creates boundaries. You say, no, 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 this is what I'm doing. This is, the, the, no, 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 I, I can't do that. I can't do this. This is what I want to do because I see that in the future. So today, here's what I want to do for you. I want to help you, and we're going to uh, talk about three things that help us answer the question, how do you make good decisions daily to finish well? And I want you to realize this, your life is made up of seasons and assignments. Say seasons. All right. Say assignments. So seasons. Some of you are in a season of college or you got through a season of college, right? Four years. Some of y'all took six for your bachelor, right? You're on the extended program. You extended mom and dad's faith. But within that season, you had assignments and classes you had to finish well, didn't you? If not, you didn't finish the season well. And you, you know, maybe had school loans, you had to pay back, didn't finish college. Well, in life, it's the same way. Look at your life in seasons. What season are you in? What's the most important thing about that season? And finish every assignment well. Whether it's a job, you just don't cuss the boss out and walk out. Stop finishing well. How do I finish well in every little thing I do? Because realize this, your life is made and my life is made up of decisions. 
That's all it is. If you talk to somebody who's 15, they've had limited decisions. Somebody who's 45, many more decisions. And if we do not see the bigger picture and answer these questions, we're going to make really bad decisions. And we'll get to a point where we made some really terrible relationship decisions that haunt us year after year after year. And we're saying, well, God, why are you letting this happen? God's saying, I ain't tell you to go to bed with that person. We are real here at Thrive. I'm going to love you through it, God. I'm going to give you grace through it. I didn't tell you to do that. I, I did not lead you into that. But God, why did you cause this job? I didn't tell you to steal the money from the job and get fired. Right, right. Regrets come from bad decisions. See, you don't decide your future. Your habits decide your future. If you look at somebody who's 82 years old, like Randy Joyce in here, and they're healthy... They didn't stumble into great health at 82. They had habits that worked toward that. You find somebody who is just, just really be a bad off and in shape sometimes as they get older. They stumbled, they, they, just, they just wandered into it. They, they weren't intentional about it. Whether it's your finances, whether it's parenting, whatever it is, realize that your daily decisions affect your future. And you've got to have a vision of the future. So how do we make good decisions and how do we finish well like the Apostle Paul did? Here's three, three things. We will, number one, we will embrace our current reality. Say what? You want me to pray away your current reality. We will embrace our current reality. Paul in this letter embraces the fact that Rome is hostile to the gospel in the first century. He embraces the fact that Christians are getting killed and he's coming up soon on the chopping block. He embraces that there's some things he's not going to be able to change. And I think many times for us, we focus on all the things we want to be different. The one thing, and as I looked at this and researched this, I actually had texted a couple of the staff when I studied this months back. I said, you never see Paul say... Hey, you know what? We need to have a, 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 a you know a, a petition and a, and, and, a, and a prayer group meeting so we can take down Rome. We need some, and we do need Christians in government. Don't get me wrong, but he didn't say we need. We just need some some Christian Caesars to rise up. He said, just pray for kings and those in authority that we may lead, lead peaceful lives and share the gospel. Paul just embraced this fact that the Roman Empire would not change in his lifetime. But he could insert the gospel into it. Now, in our life, I want you to realize there's just Roman empires about your life. There's things that will probably never change, right? Now, there's some things we can change and we do have control over, right? There's some things we can't change. And embracing our current reality is so important. When, when we lost my mom, um, you know, I lost mom in 14, uh, 12 and dad in 14, if you guys know my story. And we lost mom first. And when I sat with my dad, he said, you know, son, he sat there, at his, you know, I call it the Seagram's Sermon Bar. because That's where he sat at. He said, son, life's never going to be the same again. He said, we can't change it. We can't sit around and cry about it. We can't mope about it. He said, we got to embrace it, adjust, and move forward. I'll never forget those words when my dad looked at me about that. And he's the one who had to live, you know, in that house alone with the memories. I went to a counselor uh, several years back. And I tell people all the time, man, counselors are awesome. Somebody say amen up in the house, right? 
And the counselor that, that, that I saw, it was really a divine connection because I'm the guy who's always thinking about what's next, what's next. I can multitask with the best of them. You know, eight things going on at once. I love it. That's how I operate. But it was actually causing me what he called personal suffering. He said, you, you've got to learn to embrace the reality of which you're in, the season you're in, the, the, the thing that you're in right now. And you've got to learn to enjoy the reality that you're in. Everything about it, the good, bad, and the ugly. He says, you're, you keep trying to get to the next thing. You keep thinking of what, what an ideal this would be and an ideal that. He said, some things just aren't going to change. And he said, with the, the style of what you do as a pastor, it's like owning a business, but you got, you know, just, there's a whole other, other, whole other element. I've mean, I got to hire staff, fire staff, oversee, do this, do that. And I love what I do. Don't be wrong, I love it. He said, but you've got to embrace the reality of what you're in. The reality of having a newborn. The reality of your wife's work schedule. The reality of losing your mom and dad. The reality that you are in. The reality that I'm five foot five, the NBA is not calling. <laughs> He said, when you wash dishes, stop thinking about your sermons. Smell the dish soap. Enjoy the moment. Pause and see what's around you because you're missing the beauty around you because you keep looking for the beauty of the next thing. If we're going to reduce regrets, if we're going to, to maximize our life, if we're going to live with the end of mind, embrace the reality that you're in, man. I mean, one thing that, that, that I think that I, I have done, and people all warn me about, you know, this thing about babies growing up so fast, and they do, right? Like, they just grow up, and they become these little children before you know it, is that I've enjoyed every moment. And my son's now, you know, in between this potty uh, training thing, and I love changing his diapers. This morning, you know, like, like he literally, like, rolls up on mom's gone to work, and it's early, and he rolls up and lays right up on me. And I ain't getting a lick more sleep, right? Sleep is over for the morning because I'm... And I just lay there. I'm like, man, Lord, this is beautiful. I'm going to be tired and probably grumpy after church. <laughs> but there's one day it would be weird for him just to crawl in bed and lay on me. Like, you know, like the 18-year-old doesn't do that. <laughs> they, they come in and want money from you. So... <laughs> In your life, think about where is it that you've got to embrace the current reality. Man, you're upset. You're just, uh, man, Rome, Roman Empire. Paul didn't do that. Paul made impact and knew that Rome would never change in his lifetime. He embraced reality. Here's the, the second thing we have to do. Here's the second thing we have to do. Not only do we embrace reality, but we've got to play it forward. You've got to play it forward. Not pay it forward, play it forward. And here's what you have to do. You have to think, if I continue this habit, if I continue this action, if I continue this lifestyle, where is it headed? You, can, you can't think about where you're at, but where it's all heading. If I continue to rack up credit card debt, how will this affect this part of my life? For some of you men, if you continue to flirt at work with that woman, where is it headed? Right? Men, I'm going to be real with you. If you continue to watch pornography, if you continue to indulge in those things on the internet, it destroys intimacy with God and intimacy with your wife. The number one intimacy problem in marriage is pornography. Number one. If you have that problem... Get help. 
think about where that carries you, right? We talk about health all the time. If I continue to laugh and think the preacher's an idiot and he doesn't need to, I'll eat all the ham biscuits I want and cheeseburgers I want and he can just shut up and whatever, that's fine. I ain't going to visit you in a hot... No, I'm kidding. No, I'll visit you. <laughs> but, but where is that headed? Like, I'm an old dad, y'all. I'm 38 and got like a two and a half year old. Like, I'm going to be 50. No, I'll be 50... Lord Jesus, help me. 56, I think. 54 when he graduates high school. Like, I'm, 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 I'm going to be, you know... I want to see him have grandchildren... And I want to be able to enjoy them. Live with your end in mind. Play it forward. If I continue on this trek, where will this head? Um, if I continue, watch this, to, to say too busy at work for my children and my family, or too busy on the iPhone or the iPad, where will that head? If I continue to kind of slide back from Jesus and church and be bitter and jaded and complaining and negative, what type of old person are you going to be? Think about it. Play it forward right now. What are the, what's the thing in your life right now you need to play it forward? And here's the cool thing. Good habits. If you keep playing it forward, it's going to pay off great dividends. Because see, a ship, if a ship is two degrees off and travels 500 miles, it can be completely on the other side of the world. It's just two degrees Think about it. Where is it? Play it forward in your life. Good things, play it forward when you start those habits and those attitudes there. Where will you be in 10 years if you continue on this current path? And finally, here's what we're going to do. Not only embrace reality, we're going to play it forward, right? We're going to fast forward and say, this is what this could look like. But here's the third part. We will reduce regrets. We will reduce regrets. Paul wasn't a guy that was listing regrets in his last letter, was he? He was saying, I finished the race. Like, Jesus has this crown for me. He was saying, man, I've done all I can do with what I had for Jesus every day. And this is what this is culminating in. One thing for you, and and it breaks my heart, because we do get, as a staff, get to kind of be in there, is we get to be in the place where people are either making decisions or they're really sad about regrets they've made. And again, my desire for you is you don't live a life of regrets. Where you look back with a trail of regrets, you can reduce them. You don't have to have them. And if you have them, here's the good news. You ready? From this day forward, it can all be different. From this day forward, it can all, I don't care how young you are, how old you are, you can reduce regrets. And when you're making a decision, don't just make a decision in a vacuum saying, well, I want to go buy this car and I'm impulse buying it because it's only, this, it's only, you know, $5 a month for the next 2,000 years, right? That car's going to cost you as much as a house. But you got to think about in, in one year, what will this look like? In three years, what will I regret more about this decision? Well, whenever I'm, I'm, you know, giving somebody coaching advice and I I work with pastors or I work with ministry people and they're looking at career, what will you regret more? I talked to a friend recently and he had some decisions to make. I said, will you ever look back and say, I really regret doing that? What will you regret more? What will you regret more in your life by this decision? And when you understand that and you look at at life and decisions by regrets, 
and you look at the future with the end in mind, you start reducing regrets and actually seeing better decisions happen, happening in your life. I mean, think about it on a deathbed. No one will ever say on a deathbed, man, I wish I'd just work more overtime and stay away from those kids. <laughs> right? Does anybody ever say that on deathbed? You know, I really, really wish I would just stay on my phone the whole time or the kids were around playing. Ah, you know, man, my biggest regret in life is I wish I'd have bought that really expensive car and went to a bunch of debt, been strapped and been so stressed out. Does anybody ever sit on their deathbed saying that? Like, I get to be around some deathbeds. Never seen that. But that's what we do, right? I mean, I'm here with you guys. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. But here's what we do say. Will you pray for my wife, my husband, brother, sister, aunt, uncle? I'm not sure if they know Jesus and they've lived a pretty bad life. They're worried about Jesus in eternity, which they never think about while they're living. They never, you know, they, they, they say, I wish I'd have had more moments with my children. I wish I would have just been more sold out to serving the Lord. I wish I would not let these things hold me back. There's all these regrets that happen. And friends, listen, from this day forward, I feel the Holy Spirit is intervening in some of your lives that you can reduce these regrets from this day forward. You don't have to keep going from bad relationship to bad relationship. You don't have to keep going from bad decision to bad decision. You can literally put a stop to it and the Lord will direct your steps. He doesn't want you to live a life of regrets. He wants our story to be, I have finished the race and I've done all that I can do. I often think to myself, what moments would I beg for just one more time when I'm on my deathbed? I think about these things. Again, going through what I've been through in life, you think about mortality and eternity. I think when I'm there, what will I want more? What will I hope and I wish I could have one more time to do? And I was walking, you know, with my son. Um, we, we, we take two or three days a month and nobody's around for long, long, long hours. All, everybody's and we just have fun, man. I schedule it. We have such an excellent time. I never forget, it's one of the most beautiful days ever. I'm walking hand in hand with him. We're walking across the street over to the pond. He wanted to throw rocks in the pond and the wind was blowing. And I said, you know what? This is the stuff I would say I wish I had one more chance to do. Well, I could work. I'm very big. I could work. Two and a half year olds are tough, right? So my say amen up in the house. You're enjoying your time away from them right now got to look and think, what will I regret more? What do I want the end of my life to look like? What legacy do I want to leave? I never want my son to ever, ever, ever say, Daddy chose me over church. Because somebody was always in need. There was always a sermon to write and a task to do. I never want him to say that. I never want my wife to say, I feel like the mistress in the church is his bride. That's why I make the daily decisions that I make. Because at the end of the day, it's not about how big can I get, how can I just please everybody. It's about one thing. Number one, serving Jesus wholeheartedly with everything I have within me. And number two is my family. That's what life's about. And I have a vision of what I want that to be. I have a vision of what type of old man that I want to be. 
have a vision of what I want this church to become. Right? And we're moving toward that. So in your life, I want you to think today, live with your end in mind. Live with your end in mind. As I close, here's what Paul said. He said, the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Friend, the one thing I want you to do this week when you leave is start thinking about the bigger picture. Think about what will your legacy be. You get one sentence on your tombstone. What what is it going to say? minutes after you die, they'll be stuffing their face with potato salad and baked beans. What are they going to say about you? What will your children say about you? What will your co-workers say about you? And then how will that reflect upon Jesus? Live with your end in mind. Think about that this week. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would help us in here, every one of us from this day forward. We cannot change the past. There are certain things about our future, we, I mean, about our present, we cannot change. But God, we do have the ability to make decisions for the future. Right now, God, I pray. I don't know what people are going through in your Lord. But I do ask right now in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would speak to every heart. I pray they could not be able to shake this big idea this week in this passage. I pray that when they sleep, what type of old person do they want to be? How do they want to be remembered? Father, I pray that would consume us this week, that would maximize our lives and leverage our lives for the gospel. So, Father, today we ask for your grace to do this. We ask for the Holy Spirit of God to empower us because we cannot do this on our own. We need you, Spirit of God, to help us with this. And as we're praying here today, church, and every head bowed and every eye closed, One of the greatest decisions that you'll ever make for the future, for your end, is where will you spend eternity? Are you sure today that if you died, that Jesus is ready and would open arms for you? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know the Lord, that you've given your life to Him, that He's your Savior? Today is the best day to ever make that decision not leave here saying, man, I, that's a regret. My only regret in life is I wish I would have done that sooner. So today, if you want to give your life to Jesus and say, yes, that's me from this day forward, I'm making the greatest decision for my end, which affects eternity in my life. That's me, Kevin, on the count of three between me, you and God. I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three. That's me, Kevin. Today is the day. I'm living with my end in mind. I'm living with my end in mind. Oh, my, my eternity to be secure. Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. Right now where you're sitting, this is the most important and the best decision you ever make. You can pray with me. It's a confession of faith. Romans 10, 9 and 10, 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So right now where you're sitting, I want you to just pray after me. This confession of faith you say, God, I admit that I am a sinner, and I admit that I cannot save myself, but I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
I believe that he's the son of God. I believe he died on the cross and rose again to forgive me of my sins. Today I repent. receive eternity as my home and I welcome the Holy Spirit in my life.